0: Good morning, brothers, sisters, friends. It's really good to be back in the Atlanta area, and thank you uh, for the privilege of being able to give the sermon in just a few minutes' time. We good on the sound side? I feel like I'm bellowing, but when you're coming from small church to big church, I guess that happens. I flew in on Friday from Scotland, where my wife and I and our dog relocated about eight weeks ago. And although I've been preaching two or three times a week all around the world, in fact, last weekend I was in the Philippines and I was in Sweden and the United States. That's one of the good things about this interesting time. You can be in more than one place at once. Uh, but normally, I'm just right there in Edinburgh, an ancient city, a medieval city, soaked in history. I was walking the dog a few weeks ago. I was about five minutes from my house, and I came across something from the year 1124. <laughs> it just, there are castles and stuff everywhere. Um, okay, I've had a chance to speak live in only eight cities this year another 20 or 25 have been by Zoom. And so to me, that is a really positive thing. Our work in Atlanta uh, with ASOM, with the Athens Institute, continues. We had two sessions in the autumn already. We have another one. I think we have a lot of Europeans joining us. Sorry about the formatting there. Uh, continue to teach in master's degree programs and uh, work on debates. Something I enjoy this summer. I've, I flew to Milwaukee. We were supposed to meet at the university. We had a Uh, We organized an auditorium that held about a thousand people, but because of COVID, um, that was canceled. But I was still allowed to fly, and we still had the debate, even though the room was empty. And uh, uh, Thomas Ross, who's an eminent Baptist scholar, wanted to discuss whether we're born again in baptism or before. And we had quite a debate on that. You can listen to it if you're interested. And then another day, actually Sunday, 7.15 a.m., the ungodly hour. We debated on whether it's true that once you're saved, you're always saved. This was important material. Uh, It was a lot of work for me, really enjoyable. And with my next debate, I'm hoping to do something in London or in Birmingham, uh, those are cities, obviously in England, um, on Islam. I think we'll have quite a crowd if we do that. Uh, I just wanted to mention also, because you didn't know before, but the book called When God is Silent, which is on the problem of human suffering, that's free now if you you get a free PDF if you sign up for my free newsletter. So I'm just mentioning that in case some of you don't have it. Also this year, and this is all stuff that's happened since I was last here and with you, I've got a proper podcast, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, which you can tune into if you like, and I'll continue producing other materials as well. So every uh, new year, Now, for 12 or 13 years, I begin a new biblical or faith series. This one, starting January 1st, every day, it's like a quiet time you listen to with notes, is from Isaiah. And we'll be looking at faith and justice during COVID times. And of course, you're all welcome to take part in that. Last, I continue to do my work in the underground churches through recording the iFaith messages, which are used mainly in Asia though they're suitable for other countries, too. Uh, I've done 63 now, almost at the halfway mark, on the way to 130. And these are short sermons, 10 or 15 minutes. If you're ever stuck, by the way, in your own small group, house church, or you're just looking for something, you can can play one of those uh, and talk about it. It's biblical. It's uh, understandable. Well, my friends. North River is in a series right now, and I'll be doing my best to fit into that preaching series. It's on a very important topic, and it's a topic of giving. And so, The Joy of Giving is the title of the series, the title of the message which was given to me, not given unto me, which would imply that somehow I got it through prayer. No, it was given to me uh, by Jeff Hickman or Tom Brown, I believe. And that is roadblocks. It's a topical message. Let's dig right in. I hope it'll be important and we'll meet some needs. Of course, the world, when it comes to giving, the the world emphasizes a lot more getting. You You are a better person, or you will be a happier person if you get certain things. Of course, we reject that if we're Christians because we know it's false and it's actually dangerous. God tells us to look inside. It's that inner life. It's who we are, not uh, on the outside or the way we dress or what we drive, but it's who we are in our heart. So, the world is external. The Lord points us to the internal, and that's good because, you know, the stakes are eternal. I really think this is an important topic, and again, thank you, uh, Jeff, Jordan, Tom, other designers, the elders, for letting me take part. Roadblock one materialism. Materialism. The entire book of Ecclesiastes in the, o- the Old Testament, right after the Proverbs, talks about materialism quite a bit because in this book, the wealthy king is looking for what's meaningful in life and he tries all kinds of material things, they don't work. And this is one of his many observations. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Even if you don't feel it's meaningless, you may relate to the previous sentence. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. What benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? Everyone comes naked from the mother's womb. As everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. There's death, the great equalizer, and reminding us that the stakes are eternal. Materialism is a deadly pathogen. Amazingly, relatively few people even know about materialism. A lot of people, even in this country, with pretty much universal literacy, a lot of people would, they wouldn't be able to tell you what that was. Now, in philosophy, it's the belief that the world is only material things, there's no spiritual world, but that's not what we're looking at here. Materialism is like consumerism, you know, we eat to live, we live to eat, we eat to live. It's all about the physical world, material needs. And that's a pathogen that arguably is more dangerous than COVID-19. In one book I'm reading right now, it's called Affluenza. In the Great Plague of 1918, that was called the Great Influenza. So you can see the reference there. This is a book, Here Are Your Gods, Faithful Discipleship in Idolatrous Times. It's a book that just came out this year. I, I, have, I read a lot. I, I read old books, and I read new ones. And new ones, like really new ones, like a few weeks ago or a few months ago. And the old ones, I try to read the classics, the ones that have shown themselves to be valuable. This is a biblical scholar. Here are your gods. But weren't those the words that Aaron said to Israel? after they pressured him to create an idol, a golden cow. But this is addressed to you and me. This is not addressed to Israel. Jesus doesn't use the word materialism, definitely doesn't use the word affluenza, but he does use the word mammon. Another word used to be pretty well known. In the 20th century, it became an unfamiliar word to many even though it's in the Bible, because mammon is a false god. It's not only a god, it's a system. And mammon wants your soul. This is dangerous stuff. It's an Aramaic word. That was the language of Jesus and the apostles in Israel. Hebrew was more for the rabbis and those who had that education, but Aramaic had had become the language of the common people centuries before Jesus. It means money or riches. Um, it appears four times in the New Testament. Here's one example. No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. It's a little, little different feel than... When it says, God or money, although it's making the same point, when you're talking about mammon, there's a spiritual, or maybe deeply unspiritual, idolatrous dimension here. That's like the golden calf, you know, Exodus 32, here are your gods. Modern versions often render it as money, but mammon personifies the word, and I think that's helpful since we are awash in a culture of materialism the pursuit of the dollar worth mammon and the evil one would have us define our worth as the difference between our assets and our liabilities that is your financial worth your net worth and yet that is not the way the Lord defined it at all that he says somewhere what is great, highly valued in the eyes of men and he's talking about money is detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Worth is measured by Christ-like character. Mammon is a roadblock to giving, not just because it distracts us, but because if we're not very careful, we breathe in the spirit of the age, and we end up having less disposable income. Well, technically, you have the same amount, but then it's committed to things that aren't as important, and you have much less left over and so it's difficult to give. It's, always, it's hard to give anyway, and it's certainly hard if you, you're fighting debt. So I wondered, as I looked into my own heart, how many of us have felt any anxiety this year over financial things? Now, if you look at the international markets, you know that for half a year or more, the dollar has been falling and taking a pounding. Kind of, we got kind of a personal pounding. We lost tens of thousands of dollars this year with the dollar going down because of loss of confidence in, um, in the United States. I think it was a combination of the poor and conflicted reaction to significant racial issues combined with, I would just say, a certain degree of rudeness and obnoxiousness coming from the highest level, and that has really uh, affected how people look at this country. We have been okay we're doing we're doing all right but i know that i mean we're just all right many of us have been hit hard even while others have actually benefited but if we felt anxious maybe a discussion of the second roadblock which is worry could help now you might rightly say isn't worry Isn't that very closely connected with materialism? Oh, yeah. In fact, you could easily make this just the same point. I'm only talking about mammon and then talking about worry because I want us to think about the relationship. But we're really saying the same thing now in a different way. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, And where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Such an important principle for us. Our heart follows our treasure. And if it's in the right place, giving can be a joy, whether you have little to give or much. But if we d- disregard the Lord's word, then giving can be something we postpone and delay and rebudget and downgrade, and it's a miserable business. Then Jesus says, just a couple verses later, no one can serve two masters. There you go. Either you hate the one, love the other, or devoted, despised. You cannot serve both God and mammon. We're in the second half of Matthew 6. Don't have time to read all of 25 to 34, but just some. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Amen. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The worry about tomorrow is not general worry, although the verse could apply, I suppose. But it's really worrying about the basic things of life, which is the level most humans have lived in most of human history, they just trying to survive. They need food, they need drink, they need shelter, they need clothing. So Jesus is not saying, seek first the kingdom and you'll get all these other things, the boat and the gold jewelry or whatever. Um, the things, all these things will be given to you. He means all three things. You'll have something to eat and drink and wear. Ah, but if you're like me, we have far more than we need. It's a problem in the Western world. What do I wear today? Open up your wardrobe, your closet. Hmm, what do I wear today? Most of the world, it's, I think I washed my shirt, my second shirt yesterday. Okay, good, so I could wear the first shirt now. (laughs) Because if you only have two shirts, it's a pretty simple choice. That is the way most of the world is, not Scotland. Scotland is a relatively prosperous place, used to be horribly backward in the 1600s, 1700s, and then things changed amazingly. If I had more time, I would tell you more about our adventures there. I would talk to you about how people are adapting to the pandemic the strict measures that are followed, the trouble you're in if you break them. Like the 10,000-pound fine, $13,000. But I would love to tell you about our neighbors, because we've seen our neighbors far more than we've seen the brothers and sisters, because for them, it's, it's been Zoom, the neighbors, great people. So Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow it'll worry for itself each day as enough trouble of its own. I mean, clearly, Jesus is referring to something very simple. And I don't just mean the principle, because if there was a standard of living principle in the Bible, it might not be what you and I were expecting. But there's a simplicity. My daughter's reading a book by John Mark Comer, which I saw yesterday. I picked it up. No, I didn't read it in one sitting. I read one chapter in one sitting, and it was a chapter called Simplicity. It was excellent. You might like this, too. The book title is like a whole sermon. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, How to Stay Emotionally Healthy and Spiritually Alive in the Chaos of the Modern World. I mean, all you need to do is add a verb, and I think you'd have a whole point there. Let us ruthlessly eliminate hurry by staying emotionally healthy and spiritually alive in the chaos of the modern world. I know it's a mouthful. But this is what Jesus emphasized. There are other roadblocks. And um, if I thought anyone would still be tuned in and watching this who was expecting me to give 97 more, I would probably keel over. And you never see me again. So i just call this one, et cetera. For example, for example, impulse spending, especially on credit. Impulse spending can really mess us up. Holiday consumption, holiday consumption myth that you have to spend masses of money so you won't psychologically damage your children, or ruin relationships with family and close friends, and with it a similar expectation that I will receive lots of great stuff. Okay, there's a season of giving and receiving. You'll find it in the last verse or two of the book of Esther, but it's nothing like this. (laughs) The holiday consumption myth, which of course leads many people into debt in January, because it's driven by a worldly idea that things matter more than people, that we should love things, whereas the Lord says we love people. Things we just use, don't get it backwards, poor management, immodesty, and I'm not talking about an over-revealing dress or shirt, but immodesty applies also to lifestyle. There's obscenity. Obscenity, yes, you could say, I suppose, it's using dirty language or being very lewd sexually. I'm not sure that that's even the original meaning of the word, but obscenity is is almost the opposite of modesty. It's shamelessly, I don't know, flaunting your, your wealth and your position with others, dressing a certain way making certain purchases, not because they're needed, but because it's part of our identity. And we want people to think that we're valuable, we're important, which of course, this is not the way to go about it, but it's the way the world goes about it. Modesty is about lifestyle. Prejudice. That can affect giving. You say, well, if I give, the money will be misused, or poor people deserve what they got. Or most of them deserve what they got. So without even knowing the situation or the background or what's going on in previous generations, prejudice can make us not want to part with our money. Reluctance to exit unwise commitments. Sorry, I couldn't put that any more briefly. But this is a passage where a, a very high up Israelite, I think he was the king, he spent a lot of money on a plan that was not from God, and a prophet tells him, let it go. And the king says, but I've invested all this money. He says, let it go. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. God could give you much more than that anyway. And he actually does the right thing. And other people are grumbling at him, but he did the right thing. The world will never understand that sometimes unwise commitments, deposits, should be forfeited, plans should be scrapped. Should always ask, is this how the Lord wants me to live? Don't ask what would Jesus do because, you know, Jesus, I don't think He had a lot of money. He wouldn't have been in your situation or mine. But I like the question, which one of these books I recommended put, put it this way, not what would Jesus do, but what would Jesus have me do? That's a different question. Legalism. System without heart. Uh, Yeah, I pick passages for all these. That's where the, the Pharisees have come up with a way to get more money for the temple. It does involve less money for people's parents in their old age, but it's really good for the temple, which sounds like it's good for God. And it just becomes a system. I've done it, you've done it. Sometimes we just give to get people off our back or to make our conscience feel better or we give exactly what we decided to give, and no way are we giving a penny more or less because we're too set, we're too proud about our system. Maybe we can be more flexible. Not stupid, but more flexible. And so there are many roadblocks, and yet the roadblock of materialism and that worship of mammon... Well, I think that's what we need to really watch out for here in the United States. So, let me give a few practical challenges here. I know this is the middle of a series. There are people before me. There are people speaking after me um, on this topic. And I hope I'm not stealing your points if you were up next week. Let's talk about some of these challenges. For those of us in the West, I don't mean the Western Hemisphere or West Cobb County I mean, the West, Western culture, the lifestyle, the expectations, the privileges of living in the West, that is, Europe, North America, parts of South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, the West, Western culture. Let's stop making excuses about how much we have to work. And you'd say, well, but I do have to work, I've got to pay my bills. Yes, we do need a pair of bills. I'm not opposed to that. But it's sometimes, why do we have these bills? Why do we make those purchases? Why do we make those decisions? Do we really need the massive homes, multiple vehicles, and expensive paraphernalia? And this is something that the prophets like Amos or Isaiah explicitly focused on. Because God's people were very proud of their possessions, but they were not willing to be humble before God. What does the Lord think of our clever rationalizations to justify ourselves so we don't have to give more? While the world is perishing, we're off mission. All kinds of rationalizations. Luke has many of them. Look at the parable of the rich fool. Look at the parable of the of the rich man in Lazarus. Um, in fact, I think that's not chapter 16. Something tells me that's supposed to be chapter 12. You can look them both. Both passages are inspired. Challenges first in the West. Next, just to be generous. And again, I don't want to come across as bullying or legalistic or un- unsympathetic. I know it's been a hard year for many, many people. But most people listening to this talk, were wealthy. If we're making 25000 a year, we're in the top 10% of the world. If you're making 35000 a year, you're in the top 1% of the world in wealth. Command those who are rich in this present world, Paul says to Timothy, not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and well, willing to share. Be generous. And last, for Western culture, stop valuing wealth in itself. Wealth is just a tool. Wealth is only a tool. You're not more important or less important because you have less wealth or more wealth. Money is a tool. Use it, use it wisely, as Jesus taught us, Luke 16. Challenges for those in the developing world. I'm not talking about, oh, yes, our neighborhood is a new development. They're putting up some new houses. No, we're not talking about that. Developing world, we're talking about places where infrastructure is poor, corruption is high, and people are not wealthy. In many of these places, there is no middle class at all. And if you're watching this today, you're in one of those countries because I know that far more people will watch this online than in the auditorium right now. First, don't be lured away from your commitment to the Lord by hopes of realizing the American dream. That is so powerful. Most of the world knows what that means. It's not what we think. It's not what we think. You're not necessarily better or happier or even healthier just because you have all the money you could dream of spending and my second challenge is because you value education and if you're a mother or father you understand the importance of education for the children with education let's make a difference in our home country not just leaving it and then buying into the American dream. But if possible, if you do leave, go back and be a blessing and an agent for transformation. And then words for all of us, beware the bombardment. The bombardment from Hollywood, Wall Street and Madison Avenue, right? Hollywood is about cool, it's about entertainment, it's about personality, definitely not character, with very few exceptions. The list of Hollywood figures, these are not people whose lives you want to imitate, with some exceptions, but not many. Madison Avenue are the, that's advertising. These are the people who come up with the propaganda, the often uh, deceptive messages, and want to influence us to buy what we don't need, even, and especially buy it, even if we can't afford it. And you, of course you have Wall Street with investments and stocks and everything, and we're bombarded by this message that we should pursue pleasure, not holiness. We should pursue wealth so that we can have an easy life, an easy childhood, hopefully an easy next phase, and an easy retirement, an easy death. And then what? Because this doesn't take into account the eternal stakes. And the other challenge, this is for all of us, again, whether you're in the developing world or you're right here, let's study out what God has said about money and greed. And you'll find many uh, passages in the Prophets, you'll find it in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, and you'll find a lot about this in Jesus' teaching, especially in Luke, and in the Old Testament, especially in Proverbs. And so we can study more. We can do this together. We can help each other. Giving joyfully is a reality for many Christians, and probably for many of you whom I'm addressing in the live audience today. And yet, it's not a joy for many people because they've been too influenced by mammon. And as a result, their anxious priorities don't allow them to really do an awful lot to help others. The the joy of giving roadblocks was the message for today. And now, let's think about our Lord and His giving to us as we have the bread and the wine. Let's pray. Lord, we... We think of your spirit, your lifestyle, your simplicity, your daringness, and sometimes we feel inspired, sometimes we feel ashamed, but we know that you gave yourself for us, not because we were virtuous or so valuable or had somehow merited your death on the cross. Lord, you gave yourself for us because you love us and because of grace. And Lord, I pray that we'll remember Jesus, remembering the bread representing his body, the wine representing his blood, that we may take him into our mouths, into our bodies, make Jesus part of us, and so that he can dwell in our hearts by faith more, that the Spirit will dwell in us richly. We thank you for the communion. Amen.